Do you think work can change the world? Do you have a little rebel in you? If you said yes, this is your podcast. You don't have to settle for bad management, bad leadership, and bad workplaces. There are better ways. Let's find them together. I'm your host, Stosh D. Walsh, and this is Insubordinate. Better workplaces, better world. Welcome back, and thank you for staying with the program. I am honored by the gift of your attention. I mean that sincerely, and I hope you'll find something valuable in this episode that you can apply right away. In the previous episode, we talked about the difference between management and leadership, how they are separate, but equally beneficial and equally necessary. Today, we want to delve deeper into management and how to be a great manager. What are the behaviors great managers demonstrate? How can you develop these behaviors? And what value does that bring to the organization? Before we get into those specifics, however, we should ask the question, should I be a manager? Because not everyone should be a manager. You've probably seen in your own organizations and you've probably heard about the concept of the Peter Principle which basically means that organizations tend to promote people to their level of incompetence. So that's a terrible thing to say, but it tends to be fairly true. So what happens, for example, is the organization has a group of salespeople and they take the star salesperson who's producing the most and selling the most and generating the most revenue for the organization and they promote that person into sales manager. And that person doesn't want to be sales manager. They want to be star seller. And they can't necessarily coach or guide or help other people to be better salespeople because ultimately their gifts lie in creating the sale, not creating the environment where other people can create the sale. And so therefore they've been promoted to their level of incompetence. And so then the organization wonders, why can't this person help all these other people be as great as she or he or they were? And that's just not something they do because That's not something that they're interested in. That's not something they have the talent for. So asking yourself first, should I be a manager is a really important question. There are a few things that we can look at to decide, should I be a manager? You should be a manager if number one, you care about people. One of my favorite quotes about management is by Peter Drucker, who is almost inarguably the best management thinker of the 20th century. And he says, they're not employees, they're people. And that's such a simple statement, but so profound in my view, because it helps us understand that people don't walk into organizations ceasing to be people and becoming robotic to accomplish the tasks that they need to do in the day or the things that we as an organization or as managers want them to do. They're still people. And it's critically important to retain an understanding of that and keep that front and center if we're going to be interacting with people and then trying to create an environment in which they can thrive. So you care about people. One of my other favorite quotes just in life is by Philo of Alexandria, who said, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And you might be thinking, well, what does that have to do with management? To me, that has everything to do with management because every single person who walks into your door is a human being and they have concerns that have absolutely nothing to do with work. And that has to be okay. 
because that's going to affect their work sometimes. It's going to make their work better, and it's also sometimes going to make their work worse. And if we're not willing to accommodate that, if we're not willing to care for that, if we're not willing to create an environment where it's possible for people to talk about those things, not in a therapeutic way, but certainly in a relationship-based way, then we're really not creating the best environment for human beings to thrive. You should be a manager if you care about people. So if you heard something in the last minute or so that's, that says to you, oh, I'm not sure that I want to be that kind of person. I don't really want to have to accommodate those kinds of things. I don't really want to have to think about what this person's bringing in the door. I just really want to think about what's going to get accomplished during the day. Then you might not necessarily be a candidate to be a manager of others. The first one is you care about people. The second one is you're obsessed with other people's success. Great managers are obsessed with other people's success. If you're the kind of person who would be excited to have someone who reports to you get promoted, even if that means someday they get promoted three, four, five times and you report to them, if you're the kind of person who says, yeah, that, that would be a success for me, I would feel great about that because I, I know that I help them create the platform of growth and development that enabled them to take that trajectory in their career. And then I would be totally happy to be on their team even though years ago they were on my team. That's the kind of mentality you should have if you're going to be a manager. You have to be obsessed with other people's success, all the things that they overcome, all the things that they achieve in their careers, all of the milestones they reach, all of the things that they accomplish in terms of the organization and its priorities and its goals, each little milestone, each little victory, each little team accomplishment. If you're obsessed with those kinds of things and you want to celebrate those and you want to recognize those and you want to enable those, then probably you should be a manager. The last one is if you love coaching, you should be a manager. Coaching is the process of being a guide, but it's being a guide and letting other people figure out the pathway, letting other people figure out how they're going to get there. So you might be the person who provides the destination but you're not necessarily going to tell someone step-by-step step exactly what to do. You're going to help them figure it out. You're going to ask good questions. You're going to be a support. You're going to give them enough information to make the decision themselves. You're going to help them grow by stretching assignments or by giving them as much information as you can and being transparent, but then saying, it's up to you. If you need help, let me know. You also let people be responsible for their own outcomes. The accountability comes from them committing to what they're going to do and then saying, when we check in, this will be done or this outcome will be achieved. And coaches come alongside that and they help enable that and they eliminate obstacles to that. You should be a manager if you care about people. You should be a manager if you're obsessed with other people's success. And you should be a manager if you love coaching. But if you're not those things, it's totally okay for you not to be a manager. And hopefully in your organization, there's a pathway for you to take where you can be a subject matter expert as an individual contributor, for example, and not necessarily get promoted into that space where you're thinking, I don't really want to have to deal with these kinds of things. And it's not because you're inhumane. It's not because you're such a bad person. It's not because you don't love people because I'm sure you do. But if that's not what you get excited about, if that's not what you wake up in the morning thinking about, if that's not what you want to do with your time at work, then you don't have to and you shouldn't have to. So that's a few questions as a filter for you to be able to decide, should you be a manager to begin with? And if you 
do think you should be a manager or if you're already a manager and you know you like it and it's not something that drains your energy and not something that makes it so that you wish you could do a different job, we're going to talk about how great managers behave in each one of these three areas and how you can demonstrate those behaviors and what value does that bring to your organization. We want to do that in a very practical way as always on this podcast because the point of it is for people to be able to take something away and practice it today. Remember that it's a manager's job to create an environment in which engagement is possible. These three things, caring about people, being obsessed with their success, and coaching, make that environment of engagement more likely. Not everyone will accept the invitation, but we can't control that. Some people are going to opt out, no matter how good we make the presentation, no matter what kind of coaches we are, no matter how much we're invested in their success, some people are not going to be as engaged for us. That's okay. Don't take it personally. You do the best you can and you focus on these areas and you focus on demonstrating these behaviors and the rest you can't control. So the first one, caring about people. How do great managers care about people? The first thing they do is they understand that people bring their whole selves to work, but more importantly, they accommodate that. How can you demonstrate that? Treat people individually. Understand that everyone is different. Everyone has a different preference. Everyone wants to be related to differently. Everyone wants to be recognized differently. Everyone has different career aspirations. The more of that you can understand and accommodate, the better. The best managers I've ever talked to in my career say they keep track. They meet with their people one-on-one, -on -one, which, by the way, if you're not doing that, start and meet with your people as frequently as they want to meet with you. Just in terms of how are things going? What can I do to be helping you? What are some of the things that you're striving toward? How are you making good things happen here? Those conversations should be happening as frequently as the associate wants to have them. Weekly, bi-weekly, monthly. I would never go less than quarterly on that. Even if the person says, I don't really want to meet at all, still check in with them at least once a quarter because they're human, they're people. So understanding who they are, what motivates them, why are they there, what do they wanna do next, those things are critically important and those things also modify and change over time. Continuing to check in about those becomes an important component of a manager's role. But understanding that the very best managers keep track based on their one-on-one -on -one meetings. They have a spreadsheet and it says things like, this is how a person wants to be recognized when they do something well. This is the person's anniversary date with the company. This is the person's birthday. And this is how they want their birthday recognized or acknowledged or not. Treating people individually, accommodating their individual preferences is critically important. Other behaviors you can demonstrate are things like relaxing your time standard. This isn't school. People aren't 14. If there's a nine o'clock meeting and someone walks in at 9.02, assume that there's a good reason for that. Now, if it happens 10 times in a row, then sure, you might say something like, hey, it seems like this is a consistent thing that's happening. Tell me a little bit more about that. And is there a way for us to accommodate that or change that? But you're doing that by asking questions, not saying, why are you late all the time? And basically making it into an accusation. People have lives. They have other things that are going on. They drop their kids off at daycare before they come to work, or they got a phone call that they weren't expecting, or they're having trouble with their spouse or whatever. And so they show up a couple of minutes late for your meeting. 
Is your meeting really that important compared to what's going on in the rest of their lives? Chances are probably not. So relax the time standard. Again, there's a conversation that's okay to have, and there are questions that are okay to ask. And as you're doing that, it becomes more of a relationship and it becomes more about creating that kind of environment. But reject notions like how you do anything is how you do everything. You've heard that. How you do anything is how you do everything. What's behind it is actually valuable, which is don't take shortcuts. Don't be unethical. And if you do that in one area of your life, then chances are probably pretty good that you're willing to do it in another area of your life. When you're talking about shortcuts and ethics, fine, that's an okay quotation. But how you do anything is how you do everything is not a good mantra for a manager. That's the kind of perspective that leads to things like a clean desk policy. Clean desk policies are worthless in my view because they're motivated by this notion of how you do anything is how you do everything. And so therefore, if you have a messy desk, then you must not be performing up to your highest possible standard. That's a ridiculous assumption. I have an extremely messy desk and I know where everything on it is and it doesn't bother me that it's messy. And I always follow up with my clients on time. How I do that is not how I do everything else in my life. It just happens to be my style in terms of how my desk looks. It's not going to be the end of the world for anybody else that my desk is like that because nobody else works at my desk. I work at my desk. Accommodate the individuality that comes from some people having messy desks. Some people run two or three minutes behind, whatever it is. And if that means we need to have our meeting start at 9.05 and there's five minutes of coffee and chat or whatever ahead of time, then okay, fine. Make that work. Another thing that we can do to accommodate people's individuality and therefore care about them is focus on their strengths. You will hear me say this over and over and over and over again. Focus on people's strengths. It is the most important thing you can do as a manager. If you hear nothing else from this particular episode, if you hear nothing else from this podcast, focus on people's strengths. There is a massive amount of data that says if you focus on people's strengths, lots of really good things happen. I'm not going to dive into all that data today, but the reality is it's really, really difficult for people to be disengaged when you're telling them what they're good at and setting them up to be the thing that they're good at with as much time as, as possible. These things add value because people feel understood. They feel like they're human. They feel like they're being humanized. They feel like they're being accommodated and they pay that forward to other people. Again, going back to Philo, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. They understand that themselves and then therefore they start to understand that on behalf of others. And that adds immense value to the organization because now we're interacting in a human way and that actually accelerates performance rather than impedes performance. So the second thing we want to talk about is being obsessed with other people's success. Great managers do things like ask people about their aspirations. They ask them how I, as a manager, can help them grow or develop. They do things like make introductions for them, include them in meetings, put them up for awards, send them to conferences. Any of those behaviors you can demonstrate is going to create that environment where people can be more engaged because they are going to feel like you are invested in their success. Now, you don't want to be more invested in someone's success than they are. Absolutely not. But you do want to be invested in their success in ways that are demonstrable. And those demonstrable ways create trust. 
when you're invested in someone else's success, they trust you to have their best interests in mind. And those best interests can overlap with the organization's priorities and the outcomes we're trying to achieve. In fact, the more those things overlap, the more they're aligned, the more engagement is likely. And that's obviously a great result for everyone. But this also adds value to the organization because you're always going to lose your best people. Your best people are going to get promoted. Your best people are going to get recruited out of your organization with some sort of lucrative pay package or moving to an area of the country that's more appealing to them. So they might as well become great on your watch. And oh, by the way, this is always going to reflect well on you. Because if you're an expert developer of others, if you're obsessed with other people's success, then you're adding value to the organization because multiplying great management is one of the best ways to add value. The reason why it's one of the best ways to add value is because it's one of the fastest ways to influence culture. Because culture is about behavior. Finally, great managers love coaching. If you want to be a great manager, some of the behaviors you can demonstrate are being relentlessly curious, wanting to know more about people, wanting to know more about just about everything, doing specific things like asking five questions for every one statement you make in a meeting. I can't tell you how many times I've had coaching sessions with people who say, well, I've had a really hard time getting my people to contribute in meetings, or I've gotten feedback that I've been too directive or too dominant in my space. One of the questions I always ask is, tell me a little bit more about your meetings and how you conduct them. And almost invariably, they say things like, well, we have an agenda and we go through the agenda and I'm usually telling people what's next and what's expected. And those things are all good. Don't get me wrong. But I rarely hear someone who has that problem talking about the questions they ask. Part of the prescription for that is ask five questions for every one statement you make. It's almost impossible if you're willing to sit in silence for people to escape interacting if you ask them an open-ended question and then wait for their response. If you do that several times, people start to get the notion very quickly that I need to be talking here because this is part of what we do. Asking questions and curating good questions. Curate good questions by trying new ones and keeping the ones that work well. The ones that you get a lot of mileage out of, use them again. Use them with everyone on your team. Use them with peers. Use them in different environments. Another thing you can do is let your associates come with the agenda. So we talked a little bit earlier about one-on-one -on -one meetings. You want your associates to come to that meeting with the agenda. And sure, there are things you can add to that agenda. There are things that you can say, I'd like to make sure that we talk about this, but make it so it's their meeting. Make it so it's a meeting they look forward to. Make it so it's a meeting that they have creativity and autonomy in, and you will see them thrive and you will see them develop and you will see those interactions improve over time. Recognize that your job as a coach is to assist, not insist. As a coach, your job is to assist, not insist. You don't want to be telling people what to do as a coach. You want to be asking them what they think the best thing to do is. When once they answer that question, you want to be asking them, what kind of help do you need? What kind of partnership do you need? How can I be part of that? Do you want me to be part of that? And that way you come alongside what they're doing and that creates the accountability and the relationship that enables those goals to be achieved. 
again, in this space, focus on people's strengths. I repeat that because it's the one lever that yields the greatest result. Focus on people's strengths. Focus on what's right with people. Talk more about what they're good at than about what they're not good at. All these things add value because they encourage initiative. They encourage ownership. They encourage accountability. It sets the expectation that something is expected, but that help is available. The sum of all of these, caring about people, being obsessed with their success, loving coaching, all of the behaviors that are associated with each of those means that engagement is more likely. And again, a manager's job is to create an environment where engagement is possible. Let me end this episode by giving you a metaphor for all this. I've used this metaphor many, many times over the course of my career. I've gotten a lot of mileage around this. The first couple of times you share this with somebody else, you have to say it's for me. After that, it becomes yours. Deal? What I always say about this is that as a manager, you're trying to play tennis without scoring any points. So the goal is just to hit the ball back into somebody's court. You're not trying to overhead smash it on them and make them feel like they don't know something or that it was a dumb question they asked or you're dehumanizing them or that they failed in terms of an expectation or that they didn't understand something they should have. All you're trying to do is ask a good question and lob the ball back into their court so they can take that ball and return it to you with a good answer. You're lobbing it into their court and you're saying, this is your court. This is your racket. This is your ball. The outcome is 100% up to you. This is your game. So let's talk about what do you want to do next in your career? Lob it back to them. What are some of the things you think we could do to solve this problem? Lob it back to them. That's the metaphor I use for how you want to be managing other people because it is a relationship. It is two-way. It is a game that you're playing with one another. And you're doing that in a way that is constructive. It's not competitive. It's not demeaning. It is an invitation. It's an invitation to stay engaged. It's an invitation to play. It's an invitation to create. It's an invitation to achieve outcomes and successes and goals and the things that we want out of work and our relationships at work and overall careers that span decades because those things are also going to accelerate our ability to do the things that we want to do in other areas of our lives and again we are whole people and our whole selves come to work just as our whole selves leave work stay tuned for the next episode where we'll examine leadership using the same template we employed today again I hope you found insights here that can help you starting today. If you did, please share this with a friend, subscribe, or leave a review. Any or all of those will help this podcast reach more people. As always, resources to help you are listed in the program notes. Looking forward to next week, and in the meantime, stay with the program.